Tom Schrader is the founder and president of a Phoenix teaching ministry called Priority Living of Arizona. Each week, he leads several studies attended by local businessmen and women, providing biblically sound answers to practical everyday questions. Tom is the founding pastor of Redemption Church, a thriving multi-campus church in the Valley. Join us in welcoming back our good friend, Pastor Tom Schrader. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to, great, not good, it's great to see you this morning. Glad that you are here. Uh, it's uh, summertime, and, I, and as I was walking around the room and greeting people, I was asking how the summer was going. I got this rude awakening Friday. Uh, out where I'm in Gilbert, the Chandler schools start school this week. Isn't that amazing? the summer blew by. Here's what's really significant. Six weeks from yesterday, Iowa football starts. So we're ready for that, ready for the football season. I am uh, honored to be here. I love to come to SBC. There's nowhere I go, uh, including including my own church, that makes me feel as welcome. As you do here, I I love to come and to visit and to see old friends, to make new friends. So thank you for that. Uh, Always the challenge is to uh, come up with what are we going to talk about. And uh, I today decided to go very practical. That's not to say it's not doctrinal, but it seems like often you do a message and you go, that was pretty good. And you see people take notes and you wonder, what do they do with these notes and and can they ever use this stuff? But we're going to talk about something today that you can use by the time you get to the parking lot. (laughs) Here's the title today. The title is Taming the Tongue. Now, those of you who know me, especially a few years ago, I might not be the most likely person uh, to teach this message. Uh, My tongue was pretty fast. Uh, This will give you an idea. This was not that long ago, but I went through a phase where I had my hair longer. I don't know if, if I was up here then, but it was down on my shoulders and third of the way down my back. It was really long, and it was a source of frustration for people, and, and I, I look back on the pictures, and I don't know what I was thinking about, but one day I'm walking into church, and there's a guy there that I've never seen before, and he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and he got this smirk, and he said to me, if I give you 20 bucks, will you cut your hair? <laughs> and I looked up and down at him and said, if I give you 20 bucks, will you join a gym? And and so that was kind of, that's the way. But this is not, this issue is not unique to me. James chapter 3, verse 8, James writes, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. No one can tame the tongue. So I go back to the title 
taming the tongue? Am I asking you to do something that's impossible? And, and the answer is no. No one on their own can tame the tongue. No one naturally can tame the tongue. But we don't live naturally. We live supernaturally. So if you have Bibles, uh, you can open them to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. And there is an insert with an outline, four points, four big points out of this verse. I'll read it. It's from the NIV. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that they may benefit those who listen. It's about this idea of communication and the tongue, and I see four points in this verse. Uh, they are very similar. They build on one another. They overlap, but they build toward a conclusion. Here's the first point. Your speech is positive. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now, he's not just talking here when he uses the word unwholesome. He's not just referring to crude language, vulgarity, profanity. C clearly, it's, it's that. Uh, I, uh, when God saved me at that point, it was in 1980, uh, I had a, a very foul mouth. And I had a word that was my very favorite word. And, and I could use it. And I, I was, it was a utilitarian word to me. And I, I could get it in almost every sentence. Well, one day, we're negotiating a deal. And I've been a Christian now for, I don't know, five, six years. And I did not say, I'm going to quit swearing. It just kind of gradually, unbeknownst to me, really, it just kind of gradually changed. So we're in this negotiation, and the guy in the meeting is trying to make a point. Well, what I discovered is my old favorite word is his favorite word, except I thought I was good at it. He was far better. He could use it as a noun and a verb and an adjective. So we're in the middle of this negotiation, and he just lets it fly. And then he says, pardon my French. I learned two things at this point. Number one, I learned I'm bilingual, <laughs> which I didn't know. I didn't know I, I spoke French, but apparently one word of it anyway. But, but the second thing I learned, most importantly, is that God had changed me, and that was now a reputation. When he said, pardon my French, he was acknowledging it, maybe unconsciously, that there was something different about me. My tongue was beginning to be tamed, not by me, but by the Holy Spirit in me. That word that's translated unwholesome could be rotten. Think of a piece of fruit. We used to have in our backyard the most prolific 
a tangerine. It was a decorative. Why you would have decorative tangerines, I don't know. But it was a decorative tangerine tree. And we had, and this is not an example, we had thousands of these things. It was impossible, well, for me anyway, to keep this thing clean. And so finally one day, we're about, the kids are in the backyard, and they're about knee-deep in leaves and junk, and I thought, well, I ought to do something. So I went out, and it's that, that tangerine smell. So I thought, well, I'm going to clean this up. And I reached down to pick up this, this pile of leaves, and there are these rotten, those rotten tangerines in there, and they're just dripping through my fingers. Okay, that's this word. Don't let your speech be like that. Here's the second point. Your speech is constructive. Only speak what is helpful for building others up. The point of this conversation, and it's not to just be a, a positive, blowing smoke at people, but it's to be constructive. This tongue is a little thing. James says in James chapter 3, the longest contiguous passage in the scriptures on the tongue, that just like the rudder is a little part of the ship, but it controls the whole ship, so it is with the tongue. Just like fire it can be a, a small thing that we use to warm ourselves or cook, or, and we know this in Arizona, this time of year, it can be out of control and destructive. Our speech is to be constructive. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, the author tells us, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's the power that you have. I'm going to illustrate this in two ways. The power of death, the power of life. So when I was talking about school starting, I have a granddaughter who starts kindergarten uh, in two weeks. And her name is Harmony. And she, this will be an interesting experience for everybody. <laughs> well, I remember when I was in kindergarten, my kindergarten teacher was a, a lady, I'll say person, a person by the name of Miss, Miss Julie. And we had a small room. I remember it. It was about the size of the extension of the platform here. And there were four or five uh, rectangle tables in there. And we sat in kind of a V. And Miss Julie was in the front. Miss Julie was in control. So one day we're coloring. And, and the, it was a, a picture of two kids playing in the snow. We were to color it, turn it in. So I colored it, turned it in. And we're on to the next task. And all of a sudden, Miss Julie said, everybody look up here. And she held this up and she said, who, who drew this one? Who colored this picture? Well, it was mine. I said, well, I, I did. And she said, you're Tom? And I said, yep, Tom. And she said, everybody look at this. Tom colored this. And, and see how he's got this one kid in an orange snowsuit and this other one in a red snowsuit, don't you ever, ever, ever put red and orange together, ever. <laughs> well, that was 62 years ago. <laughs> and I'm pretty much over it. <laughs> I've lost track of Miss Julie. 
I presume by now she's in hell and eternally chained to a kid in an orange snowsuit and a red. I don't, I don't know. Isn't that amazing? It's 62 years ago. It's as fresh as yesterday. I don't want to blame my whole life on Miss Julie, but this thing stuck in my mind. That's the part. Those of you that are parents, if you got a kid and you're telling that kid you're fat, dumb, and lazy, you better understand you're going to get a fat, dumb, lazy kid or an unhealthy perfectionist overachiever. Conversely, the power of life. I am now in, uh, and I'm, embar I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to say it. But I'm in something right now called strength therapy. It's designed for people 60 and older. To say it's a workout, it's not a workout. But we do 15 minutes to begin aerobic activity. But it's nothing, I mean, it's this stuff. It's nothing strenuous, but it gets the heart rate going. And the last 15 minutes are weight training. But that's deceptive. I mean, I'm, my shoulder's kind of weak, and, and so I'm working with nine pounds. I mean, we're not, we're not doing a lot. In the middle is, is the stretching part. Might be the most beneficial. So we're on the ground, and we have one. And, and, and I'm not going to do it, because I, if I got down, I could never get back up. <laughs> but we have one exercise we do called bird dog. So we're down on our hands and knees, and, the and it's all about balance. Balance for old people is the big deal. Every 19 seconds, an, an elder in this country goes to the emergency room as a result of a fall. Every 29 minutes, an elder dies as a result of a fall. So balance is gigantic. So this helps balance. So a bird dog is I, you extend your left hand and your right leg. And the objective is not to get this high. I'm sorry to you people back there. This guy, <laughs> that's got to look really bad over on this. But, but to get that leg extended. What we're doing, and then you alternate. When we're doing bird dog, and I'm down there, and Shelly's leading, and she said, everybody look at Tom. <laughs> He's doing it perfectly. Let's replay this. Everybody look at Tom. He's doing it good. She didn't say that. He's doing it excellent. She, didn't say, she said perfectly. And as she said it, I could feel that back leg extending <laughs> even, even, even further. It's such a simple, I, I, I'm 67 years old. I'm an old man. But she literally spoke life into me. My, my speech is to be constructive, to build others up. It should be couched, I, I would suggest, in love. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 8.1, is that love builds up. That, that classic passage on love, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 13 is, is the little, I think, linchpin that holds the whole idea of love together. Love doesn't seek its own. 
So Sandy was here last night. Uh, she's not going to be here today. Once was enough uh, for her. But, but I love Sandy. We've been married five years now. And I love Sandy. And here's how I show her I love her is when I'm not worried about me, I'm worried about her. I'm honoring her. In, in Eugene Peterson's The Message, I think we can still quote Eugene Peterson, The Message of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he writes this, his paraphrase, love doesn't give up. Love cares more for others than themselves. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. Verse 7, Peterson's paraphrase, love puts up with anything, trusts God, always looks for the best, never looks back. And this whole idea of speech, and it's a comment I think on the culture we live in, speech has become not destructive, but, but or not constructive, but destructive. I, I watch, although I've almost eliminated it, I, I watch news shows. And they're not news shows, they're really opinion shows. And Sandy will go, turn that off. Now, I can't hear very well anymore, so I have these TV ears that you see old people using, so I have a set of those, so I can turn the volume down and still watch it, but I can't take it anymore. I have one show, I always liked Neil Cavuto. I always liked him. And Cavuto was always a class show, but now you got guys talking over each other. And people go, oh, it's that news. It's not just news. You get the same thing on ESPN. They're talking. Everybody's arguing. On the cooking channel, we've got cupcake wars. <laughs> We're arguing on the cooking channel. Everything obliterates rather than builds up, tearing down. You have the power in your tongue to 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 put wind in people's sails. And I don't mean this in a superficial way. I, I mean, Shelly had no idea, I don't think, what she was doing when she said, Tom's doing it perfectly. It changed my attitude toward her, toward that stretch and exercise, toward that class. Here's the third thing. Our tongue is to be, and speech is to be, perceptive. Here's a point that you might not have expected in a discussion on taming the tongue, but I think is really important. It's a linchpin, again, in the middle. According to their needs. Here's what my flinch is. My flinch is to build you up according to what I think you need. If I'm going to build somebody up according to their needs, I'm going to have to listen. Oh, last Christmas, uh, Sandy gave me three books. I don't know why she gave me books. I don't like people to give me books. It's like clothes. I, I, I pick out my own stuff. I'm picky about it. 
Might not look like it, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm picky about it. Well, she gave me a book, and I couldn't help but think, there must be some message in this. The name of the book is The Listening Life. <laughs> I didn't get very far. It's the first page of the introduction, the first paragraph. Listening comes first. In this life, you listen even before you're aware of it. From within the womb, an unborn child is already listening to the voice of her parents. After her birth, she will spend the next months hearing the words they speak, whisper, sing to her, until one day she will start echoing those words, one imperfect syllable at a time. I, I'm, I'm going to skip ahead because I, I thought from a, 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 just an overall perspective, this caught my attention, this sentence. Hearing is an act of the senses. Listening is an act of the will. Disciples are walking listeners. Hearing is an act of the senses. Listening, that's intentional, it's different. I have, it seems like every time I'm here, I'm outlying all my physical problems, but my latest one is I, I can't hear. Uh, the right ear is now essentially completely gone, and the left ear is at either 40 or 60%. I couldn't hear the guy when he was telling me what it was. <laughs> so I have a meeting tomorrow, an appointment tomorrow, with Dr. Schroyer, Lindsay Schroyer. And then I go, and it looks like at the end of August, so the next time I see you, assuming Jamie invites me back, I'll have an implant, and it'll help me. And, and, it, and it's... it's, it's I'm learning in this, this hearing thing. I'm disconnected from the world around me. Otherwise, I'm walking through the room. You'll start talking, and I'm going, I, 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 I just try, I try to fill in the blanks of what I think you're saying. I try to, and I nod, and, and I do the best I can. Uh, uh, this has become a problem. We, Santa and I went out for our, anniversary. And this, this is a perfect example. I want to bring this into what listening is about. The server comes up, a delightful lady, and she says, I hear her say, welcome to DC Steakhouse. Then she says something, and I said, I'll have an iced tea, kind of watered down with a lot of ice. And she looked at me kind of funny and said something to Sandy and walked away. And Sandy said, did you hear? And I said, oh, yeah. She said, welcome. And she said, what'd she say after that? And I said, well, I don't know. I assume, she said, what would you like to drink? That's what comes next. Here's how it went in real time. <laughs> welcome to DC Steakhouse. I understand it's your anniversary, happy anniversary. To which I responded, I'll have an iced tea watered down with a lot of ice. See, I can hear through the senses, but, but that doesn't mean listening. Now, you're going get, to get kind of in your face a little bit here. I need to build you up according to your needs. That means, and the term I've used, is I need to become a laser listener. 
I mentioned that I have an appointment tomorrow morning at eight o'clock with Lindsay. And I'm telling you, I've got, I think, seven doctors right now that I go to. And Lindsay is unlike any other. There was a study done by the Mayo Clinic and they discovered, and I think it was 22 seconds, within 22 seconds of the doctor saying, how are you doing? He or she will interrupt you. And that's kind of been my experience. Lindsay will say tomorrow, Mr. Schrader, how are you doing? And I'll start and she will just, she locks in on my eyes, her head will bow, oh, she'll laugh. She could tell me almost anything. She literally opens me up. I have deeper conversations with her about whatever we're in there about. And the whole reason is she's listening. Now, here's the odd thing. The way that we abuse this most is the people is with the people we're closest to. So you've heard people say, oh, they've been married so long, they finish each other's sentences. Well, what if the person was gonna say something else? <laughs> I start to assume I know what you're gonna think. We've got this device, and you've got them all around. You have them with you. Here's one in the front. They're all these phones. These phones are destroying our ability to communicate one on one. I have developed a rather annoying habit of not taking mine with me. And it's not just, oh, these young people. I'm at a table, restaurant the other day, waiting for somebody. And there's a couple sitting here. He was older than me. He had to be 75. She had to be about his age. And the entire time, they're on the phone. The only time they stopped on the phone, whatever they were doing, was when the food came. Because the only thing we do <laughs> worse than listen is we love to eat. So they're powering this food down. And the minute they were done, they're on the phone again. That's not communication. If I'm gonna have speech and interaction with you that's positive and constructive, I have to be perceptive. I have to know your needs. And the end result, the fourth point is, your speech is effective. The end result is, there's a benefit. You're gonna walk away, and even if it's a tough, even conversational, confrontational discussion, you're gonna walk away edified. You're gonna benefit from it. Well, how are you in this conversation thing? How do people feel when they see you coming? When, when their phone buzzes and they pick it up and the caller ID has your name on it and they got a decline and an accept button, which, which button are they pressing? You getting a lot of calls where it rings once and then goes to voicemail? What's it like after somebody's done talking to you? I've got people that I can just see them. I'm seeing them coming. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. I, I, hope, I hope my heart kicks into a 
Right now be a good time to have a mild heart attack. Not a big one, but a mild one. Anything but talk to them. I have a friend, and he said, do you know so-and-so? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you enjoy him? I said, well, I know I'm not with him very often. I said, is he close to you? And here's what he said. When I'm done talking to him, this is a great word picture. I feel like a car that sat all night with the lights on. My battery just... When somebody's done talking to you, it ought to be... And that thing's cranked and ready to go. I, I, I used to... I mean, my hero, Larry Wright, I, w I would talk to Larry and the, every time when I was done. I was floating on cloud nine. I'd call him. We didn't have caller ID in that day. And he'd go, yellow. <laughs> and this everything got better. Even if I knew it was going to be a tough conversation or I was coming to him with a problem or he was coming to me with a problem, at the end of the day, you were energized. So your speech should be positive and constructive and perceptive and effective. Now, some of you might even be saying at this point, oh, that's kind of practical, but I'm looking for something a little heavier. I expect a little something heavier on a Sunday morning. Well, let me tell you why I'm talking about this. This is a spiritual issue. If you want to understand how you're doing spiritually, one of the big indicators is going to be your speech, your tongue. Especially in a church like this, that's such a solid Bible teaching church, you're going to have kind of a flinch that, that somebody says, how are you doing spiritually? And you're going to say, well, I just read. I didn't ask you what you read. I asked you, how are you doing spiritually? Now, part of it is reading. But you can have all the head knowledge in the world. But if your tongue is ripping apart your relationships, if you're, if you're a mom or a dad, how are you doing? Or a kid, are you showing respect to your parents. How are you doing in one another? This is a spiritual issue. Let me put this in the larger context of the passage, Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. It's the verse we just looked at, and he says in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling or slander and every form of malice. Live at peace with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Bring civility into the world. How about this? And be kind and compassionate to one another. Now, if I stop right there, there's a sense in which I'm going, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can get rid of all the bitterness and rage and be compassionate. How could I do that? Look at that little phrase at the end of verse 32. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Not because you deserved it, 
not because you earned it. I'm sure every time I've had the privilege of being here at SPC, I've used the phrase, God saved you in spite of you, not because of you. God didn't save you because you're basically a good little girl or a good little guy. I'm speaking next week at a church, and they assigned me a topic. And the, <laughs> the topic for next week is total depravity. Now, I feel better equipped to teach that topic than taming the tongue. But that's what we were. We forget this. We were totally depraved. We didn't like God. We weren't attracted to God. We were repulsed by God. But God reaches in and takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh and draws us to himself. It's that love of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, maybe. It's the love of Christ that compels us. There should be a sense in which we look to the cross every day and we understand that he died for us. And if that's too general, and it might be, let's narrow it down. He died for you. I, I was somewhere, and a lady was making a point that if you were the only person that ever lived, Jesus would have died for you. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know. But, but let's play that out. If you were the only person that ever lived and Jesus died for you, then it would have had to have been you that was nailing the, thorn, the nails in his hands. If you're the only person, as you're nailing them, he's dying for the very person that's shoving the spear in his side. That's the love that God has for you. That really hurt. <laughs> I keep forgetting about my hand. But that's his love. If he's forgiven you, what Paul is saying is now you turn around and you love and forgive others. And you can do this not naturally, but supernaturally. The spirit of God in your life brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and what? Self-control. The taming of the tongue. It's a spiritual issue. And, and I hope that you can see that you can put this to work in your life today. And I'm not talking about lying and blowing smoke at people. I'm talking about consciously trying to bring wholesome talk that's constructive, that's customized to their needs so it will build them up. Let's pray as Neil comes. Father, thank you for these truths. Put them to work in our life. Use them. Use us. It, it, it's such a, a practical thing, but it literally gives us an opportunity hundreds of times each day to demonstrate how you've changed our heart. Father, do that work in our life. We ask it of you in Christ's name. Amen.